Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. On today's podcast, I have June, who is a single mom of four young children, all of whom have special needs to varying degrees. June is an instructor for community parenting and advocacy classes. She is passionate about addressing the unique issues that parents in this situation face. June is also separated from her abusive husband and currently going through the divorce process. Her ex-husband participated in pornography and masturbation, as well as sex with multiple partners while they were married and continues to do that during the separation and the divorce process. Welcome, June. Thank you for coming on today's episode. Thank you. I'm so happy to speak with you today. You guys are going to be really curious about June's story, and she's going to be sharing that with us on next week's episode. This week, we're really going to focus on parenting special needs children while in an abusive situation. June, let's start with you talking about your children. I have four children. They range from age nine to three, two boys and two girls, and they each have some level of special needs. My nine-year-old has autism spectrum disorder, sensory processing disorder, auditory processing disorder, and also ADHD. And he's probably been most impacted as far as special needs go and on the disability range. My other children have speech and language issues, and all of my children have been affected by trauma, which is really important to note because the treatment for trauma-impacted children as well as special needs children can overlap sometimes. And so in my own home and in my own parenting, I do a lot of things to address that and things to help them feel safe and things to help them process that trauma and process those emotions And it really is no different many times the work I do with my profoundly impacted child as opposed to the rest of my children that have suffered the trauma. So let's talk about your nine-year-old son who is on the spectrum for a moment. Would you say that some of his behaviors have escalated due to the trauma in the home or your soon-to-be ex-husband's abusive behaviors? Do you see that they're a little bit correlated? I see that my son who has autism can have a very hard time processing those things. He can have a more difficult time than the other kids processing the actual separation and divorce. He can tend to perseverate on that and ask why, why, why. Any answer that I give him won't necessarily satisfy him. Kids on the spectrum and kids with special needs in general, they can all have sleep issues and insomnia and anxiety. I definitely have seen that increase in my son. So yes, to answer your question, some of the behaviors have escalated. You mentioned sleep. So when your son or all of your children are having sleep difficulties due to the trauma, that also affects your sleep, right? So how do you practice self-care in a situation that is extremely stressful and difficult. I feel like it's very important to teach my kids what emotions look like and how we process emotions. If I'm having a difficult day and I need to do some self-care and my children are around, I let them know that. I don't just lock them out of that process, I would say. So if I'm angry about something or if the kids are angry about something, we will go outside (laughs) and we will say, I'm angry and that is okay. I don't have to tell them what it is about, but giving them those ways to process and handle those emotions 
is very healthy. I feel also like it is very healthy for me to have that self-care time and that alone time should I need it. So I do find ways and carve out little moments during my day that I can do that. I want to make it very clear that that is so important, not only for anyone who's going through a divorce due to abuse or separation or difficult time, but also just for a parent in general of a special needs child, because oftentimes you never get a break, even mentally thinking about the situation or the issues that your child may be having. And so it is important to take that upon yourself to learn how to get yourself some relief when you need it and be able to implement that in your daily routine. So the things I do, I mean, of course I love bubble baths, but you know, when I'm out and about and dealing with a crisis situation with one of my kids, I can't really go home and take a bubble bath and just stop everything. Although there are days that I definitely want to do that. And there are days that I definitely, you know, will take a break from some of the things that I have planned that day, just because I know it's an overwhelming day. But I will practice mindfulness, you know, driving in the car. I will pull over for five minutes and do some deep breathing. I will do some grounding exercises. And the most important thing is that I've taught my children how to do these things too. So they know little exercises that we do and we have nicknames for. There's one that's called Take Five, where we go through the five senses. You know, we pick out five things that we see. We pick out four things that we hear. Um, three things that we touch, two things that we smell, one thing that we taste. And there's definitely a neuroscience behind it. It switches your brain into getting out of the fight or flight symptoms and into a more grounded state. And so if any of my children are experiencing anxiety, we'll do these simple exercises. We'll do teddy bear breathing and all of these little cute names that we have for the things that we may do to help So for women who are separated and or divorced, like June and I, I do get a quote unquote break every other weekend when my kids go with my ex. And June is in that same situation right now where her children go with her soon to be ex every other weekend. A lot of people think that divorce solves the problem. It does not. The abuse continues. We still have to learn how to deal with it. In my case, the abuse is he's still lying about what happened. He's still manipulating people. Also, there's some physical things that are happening with my kids where they come home and they've felt physically unsafe with him. June is in that same situation. So there's this dichotomy of really enjoying the break and having that be a time of self-care, but also being really worried about our children. So my children who are neurotypical, when they come home, they're behaviors escalate as well. They have trouble sleeping or they have trouble with school or trouble getting up in the morning. It throws their whole schedule off. And so there's this dichotomy between I like the break, but I want to protect my kids and it's really hard. So can you talk about that situation where they can use the break for self-care, but also what to do with their emotions when they know that their children are with an abusive dad? Yes. And I do want to say that Any child that is going through the divorce of their parents experiences trauma. Even in the best of circumstances, that is traumatic for a child. And the impact of trauma, regardless of what it is, even if it's a minor trauma, major trauma, it really depends on how the child perceives it. And the impact is really the same. 
So even though your children might be neurotypical, you can still do things to address the trauma that they may be facing, even if it is, like I said, in the best of circumstances. I really identify with what you're saying. It's so important to take that break. When your children leave, that you can catch up on things that you needed to do. Cleaning for me is like self-care because so often I'm running day to day with the kids and we're going to appointments and therapies and school and all sorts of things. And sometimes I don't get a chance to clean something the way that I would need to. I'll do that on my weekends. And I also take that time to be very reflective and to plan my week because I know I have a big week coming up. On my weekends, I will oftentimes look for chances to increase my own learning when it comes to my children with special needs. So I will go to advocacy seminars. I'll go to disability symposiums. I'll go to trainings. I'll go to parenting classes. And many times in your own community, these things are offered completely free. You just have to know where to look for them. So I would advise getting involved in your community services board if your community has one, which most communities do. And there's lots of organizations, nonprofit organizations in general, that will offer these sort of things like National Alliance of Mental Illness. And there's mental health organizations. There's a lot of places that will give you free training for children who have special needs or just general children who have trauma or parenting neurotypical children with no trauma. It breaks my heart to know that my children might be feeling unsafe. We have been in that situation before and if they have disclosed that they have felt unsafe or they've been uncomfortable with something when they're not with me and I have really struggled on how to handle that. Some things I will bring up to him and say, hey, the kids have mentioned this. And I have found that that very easily gets manipulated so that next time that he sees them, he will say, I never said that and you shouldn't tell mom that or something like that. And in those situations, I've really just started to teach my kids what gaslighting is. Without bad-mouthing him at all, I just let them know. If someone tries to convince you that something didn't happen that really did happen or that they didn't say something that they really did, and you know that to be real, that's called gaslighting. And they appreciated learning that terminology. They have since come to me and said, this person was gaslighting me today. I find that it's helpful to teach them that kind of thing, to give them the terms and the labels of what to call it to avoid the confusion. I also try to give them and teach them the tools that they need to handle any situation that they might feel unsafe in. So if they are made to watch a movie that is inappropriate or scary or something or is above their age level, we will role play and I'll say, what can you do in this situation? And the answers that they come up with are great. You know, they say, I can leave the room. I can say, I don't want to watch this. I can go in my room and play Legos. I can close my eyes and think happy thoughts. I can remember the last time that we went to the beach. Giving them the tools for handling those difficult situations that I have no control over is so important. I do the same thing for my autistic child that I do for the rest of my children. So they can all use those tools and effectively 
implement them in the situations that they're in. Yeah. I have found that that has really helped too. Teaching them about gaslighting, teaching them about what it means to be safe is very, very helpful. And they come home and tell me there was a gaslighting situation or this is what happened. And it was really weird, mom. We felt really uncomfortable. I'm so grateful that they're starting to see that and that they can tell me how they feel about it. They have words now to describe what is happening to them. By the way, a lot of people ask when I tell them the situation, they're like, what? He still can take the kids every other weekend, even though he's done this, this, and you had a protective order and he was arrested. A lot of people don't understand that in many ways, the law protects abusers. And it's super traumatic when you start going through the divorce process thinking, oh, we'll finally feel peace. And you start realizing that maybe your attorney or the judge or other people don't understand abuse and that what they're deciding is actually keeping your kids in a harmful situation. A lot of people don't realize that. And then there's also the abuser's family who is supportive of him and thinks he's great. There was a situation with my son where he was hit in the face and my ex's mother, he lives with his parents, used it as an opportunity to tell my ex and my son overheard that my son must be an addict, which hurt him so much. He said, I feel so unsafe around grandma. She doesn't understand the situation. She didn't even hear the whole truth of it, but immediately she threw me under the bus and supported her abusive son. He came home and told me that. And in your case, it even came down to clergy and your faith community, which we'll talk about next week. But I just want to put out there that a disability like autism or I have another friend who has a daughter who has Down syndrome who is going through this with her abusive spouse and so many other women that I know who have a disabled child while an abusive husband in the home. He's currently lying and manipulating. He's currently angry. He's currently looking at porn. And a lot of people see the disability and women feel free to talk about the disability, but they don't want to talk about what's happening with their spouse. Can you talk about in the past when your husband was in the home, when you didn't understand you were being abused and the situation in the context of having a child with special needs? There is definitely this intersection where I was handling the situation with my children that have special needs and really trying to learn what I could and advocate for them in the school system and educationally. But also I was very wrapped up in my marriage failing and why my husband was doing these things and what I could do to help that situation. We went to marriage counseling and I went to counseling on my own. I learned all I could about problematic sexual behaviors, porn use, affairs. I really delved into it all and took it upon myself to try to understand how I could possibly save our marriage and our family and help him. I very much wanted him to succeed and to be a healthy person because I, I believe that abusive people can change and I believe that people can make mistakes and right those wrongs. The more that I did that, although it was empowering and it helped me to understand what was going on and I began to learn about abuse, it was very clear that this situation I was in was taking away from my ability to be the best parent I could be for my own children. I was spending so much time in trauma over and over and over again from daily verbal abuse and from 
emotional manipulation, sexual coercion, spiritual abuse to awful degrees. And it impacted my ability to advocate and look into the issues that were going on with my own children and to really be present for that. And once I started realizing that that was the case, and once I started seeing that this intersection was happening and it was like this collision, I couldn't do both. My son didn't talk until he was about five years old. He used sign language up until that point. But when he did start talking, he jumped right into speaking full sentences and parroting people and echoing what other people were saying. And when he started hearing the names I was being called by my husband, and when I realized that my son could be repeating that very soon because he was talking and they were subjected to hearing this and being around that, that was the intersection point for me, that this is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. And this is normalized for my children. This will be normalized in their life. And, you know, there was a lot of other things that culminated up to it. But definitely my consideration of how it was impacting my children and how it was impacting my ability to also parent my children in a healthy way was the basis for preparing myself that I might have to be a single mom one day. How have you seen your children's behaviors improve since you started setting a boundary around your husband's abusive behaviors? Yes, I love talking about this because it is truly amazing when you receive the help that you need and you receive the care and the love and that you feel like you belong somewhere and you feel like people understand you. So when I left my marriage, me and my children had all received services at a center for abused women and their children. And part of this was I would go to a support group and the kids would go to children's support group. It was led by child therapists and social workers. And I took advantage of their amazing training. And I would meet with the child therapists alone on a different day to ask them, how can I help my children going through this very, very difficult and traumatic situation? And so I received one-on-one parenting instruction on how to help children manage trauma. The things that I learned from that and the things that my children learned just from going to a support group like that with other children who were experiencing similar things were amazing. One of the things that we did is we implemented a safe space in our home. And ours is a little teepee tent we set up in the corner of one of our rooms. And it has pillows and it has all sorts of sensory things, bean bags and smelly candles and Play-Doh. And it's like a designated space for working through those things that they feel. We also use time-ins instead of time-outs. And so if one of my children is having some difficult behaviors, being very irritable or not getting along with the other children, Instead of putting them in timeout, their behavior is a call for help and their behavior is communication. And that is really the first thing about trauma-informed care is that all behavior is communication. And so what my child is communicating with me at that time when they are acting out is that they need help processing what they're feeling. And so I take them aside and we do an emotional check-in or we'll play a short game about what they felt that day. Tell me a time that you felt brave today. Tell me a time that you felt lonely. Tell me a time that you felt happy. And those times that we do that and that we set aside for even just a five-minute conversation, 
it can help push the reset button on their behavior and really get them back on the track that they need to be. That is a coping mechanism. That is teaching them emotional intelligence and how to process those feelings. So for other women who have a child with special needs, who find themselves in an abusive situation and start realizing that these fights that they're getting in with their spouse are actually verbal abuse, or they realize they're being lied to, or they realize that their husband is using porn without their knowledge. What advice would you give them? I would definitely say to inform yourself and to educate yourself. The more empowered that you can be in your situation to identify what is going on, the better off you will be in handling whatever happens and whatever you decide and whatever comes your way. I also feel like it is essential to stress that I am a much better parent being out of that situation. I can now focus on my children and it's like this whole new world has opened up to me about kiddos that deal with trauma and special needs and how to best mentor them and help them through these things and advocate for them. It takes advocacy on every level, really, in the community, in schools, even in churches. You really have to educate other people. The school recently gave my autistic son a silent lunch for something he did. And he couldn't tell you why he received that punishment. And that was a problem for me. And so I said, well, you understand that part of being autistic is having problems interacting socially and problems identifying social cues. And to take that away and give someone silent lunch and publicly shame them, first of all, is not healthy for an autistic child, but it's also really not healthy for any child. And trying to educate the school was difficult. And I'm sure that they thought, who is this parent coming in here and telling us that our punishment system or discipline is not appropriate? But that's exactly what I did. I felt like this is not appropriate for my child and none of my children. I don't feel like it is appropriate. And just making that known. And you as the parent are the expert on your child. And being in an abusive relationship can hinder that. It can take away some of the ability that you have to really focus on the children that need that. I cannot stress enough how much my parenting has changed and how much my life has really opened up and my eyes have opened up to a whole new world, helping children with special needs or children with trauma or any child in the best and healthiest way. Absolutely. Everyone stay on the edge of your seat for next week where June will tell us the story of what happened to her. Her story is horrific. She's still going through it and my heart goes out to her. We've become friends through this process. And every time I talk with her, my heart goes out to her and her children and the pain and the chaos they're experiencing and continue to experience due to someone else's behavior. So stay tuned for next week. After the two episodes where we had Kate and Michelle on, they were talking about what's wrong with the codependency model and 12-step programs for betrayed women. Um, I had a good friend of mine call. She attends still the 12-step group that I used to go to. And I love that group. And if I did go to 12-step, I would go to that one. And I feel like everybody there is 100% in on the trauma model and using the 12 steps to improve their lives. Anyway, she said, man, those two podcasts really left me feeling sad. 
And I said, well, please come on the podcast and let's talk about it. So stay tuned for that. That will be coming up, talking about someone who's a big fan of 12-step and how she felt and why 12-step really helps her. I know everybody's different. So I just want to share all perspectives, letting people know that these are the things to watch out for so that you can be safe. But I'm a big fan of whatever works for you. But I also want to make sure that I protect victims and let victims know that it can be a way of victim blaming and it can keep you in harm's way. I'm not sure if we announced that we added two awesome new coaches, Coach Peggy, who does meditation stuff that's incredible, and Coach Joanne. Go check out the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group schedule. It's btr.org backslash support dash group. We have multiple sessions a day in multiple time zones. Once you register, you'll receive an email and it will give you a password. You log in at the top right-hand corner. It says group login. And then you'll get the password in email. Click on the Zoom session links under this schedule tab. That sounds very complex, but when you go to the website, it's pretty intuitive. If you have any questions, you can email Coach Joy at joi at btr.org. Joy is our coaching coordinator. Also, if you don't know where to start and you're like, what do I need to know? I just, I'm so new to this. I recommend that you go to our individual sessions page in the navigation. You go to services and then individual sessions. Scroll down and there's a list of all the different topics we cover. Any coach can cover any topic. We have listed them there to make it a little bit easier for you to know where to start and know which coach to schedule an individual appointment with. Right now I'm in the process of trying to get enough recurring monthly donations to cover just the basic technical costs of running a podcast. Our podcast is relatively expensive. Probably wouldn't know all the different programs we run on the back end to provide it in the way that we do. We transcribe it. We push it out on social media. We use a lot of technology tools on the back end that you don't see in order to make sure that our content is accessible to everyone. And it costs money. So for me to be able to continue to provide free content to everyone, I really need your help. Please make a recurring monthly donation. Go to our website, scroll down to the bottom and click on make a donation. So many other websites, they charge for their videos, right? They are like, here's these videos on intimacy or videos on gaslighting or something, some kind of static video training that they're going to give you. And they charge for that. At Betrayal Trauma Recovery, all of the content we have is free for everyone. We provide it in the format of a podcast and then through YouTube, we make a video for it. We do a transcription, we write articles, we push it out through social media. The reason I do that is because we are a nonprofit and part of our mission is to educate the entire world about why pornography use is abusive and also the behaviors around it, the lying, the manipulation, the narcissistic behaviors. So I just want you to make note of that, of all the different organizations that charge for their, what I'll call static content, like, like either podcasts or video series or whatever. We do not charge for that. I need to send out a thank you for all of you who do donate monthly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your donations make a huge difference. In fact, I think we have a sex addict who is recovering, who is doing a recurring monthly donation as part of his restitution. I'm not 100% sure, but I just saw this man's name come through and I had that feeling that that's what he was doing. If that's you and you listen to the podcast, thank you. And to all of you, thank you. Every single recurring donation helps. Also, every single one of your ratings on iTunes helps isolated women find us. The other thing I'd like everyone to do is on Facebook, 
share our checklist. It's btr.org backslash checklist. We need every woman in the world to know exactly what to do when she finds her husband is using porn or when she suspects she's being lied to or manipulated. So please share that on Facebook. Also, we are making a big push right now to educate people on Instagram. If you are on Instagram and you don't follow us, please go to at Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We'd also love a shout out. Even if you don't want people to know about you and your own situation, you can just say, hey, I just heard about this awesome nonprofit that helps abused women and tag us and maybe repost one of our posts, that really helps other women find us. As you know, before you found us, it's very difficult to find an organization that understands this as it really is, which is an abuse issue. We know people are addicted to porn, but more than even an addiction issue, although it is one for sure, it's also for us, for the women who are victims of this, it is a domestic abuse issue and we need to educate the whole world about it. And so I really appreciate your help getting the word out. And until next week, stay safe out there.